City Church podcast. New City is a church in Bath, Maine that exists to make disciples, develop leaders, and plant churches that multiply. This week, Pastor Joel Littlefield is preaching a message from Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, and the message is called The Forgiveness of God. We hope you are blessed by the message today. So we are taking a step back in our text through Matthew to focus in harder on forgiveness today. It wasn't enough to just sort of skim through it at the end of the sermon a couple weeks ago. It has been the perfect week, and I say that with a bit of a smirk, to be preaching and preparing on the topic of forgiveness. I don't want to pretend or you to think that I'm pretending that as I preach or prepare or bring a message like this, that it's just easy for me to do so. Every single one of us in this room needs the forgiveness of God. We desperately need the freedom, the lifting of guilt, the awareness that a great and holy God who has perfect judgment and wrath for sinners at the very same time through Jesus has freedom and forgiveness and hope for you. So I pray, my prayer is that there would not be people distracted to think about other things this morning. It is so crucial. If there's a subject that is most crucial regarding Christianity, it is the forgiveness of sins. So whatever is haunting your mind right now, whatever thing or detail, ask the Lord right now to give you the ability to listen and to focus. We're going to talk about a few different things. We're going to jump to the text in Psalm 32. I want to make some things clear that are just probably a question when it comes to the text in Matthew and the Lord's model for prayer. The text is this again, Matthew 6, 14 to 15 says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. So the text, this text is a classic example of why context is so important to rightly interpret what Scripture is saying. This is a very good case in point. Why does it matter where the text is in the greater scheme of the Scriptures and what is being taught by Jesus? So earlier in this same passage that Christ is teaching, we're told as part of our regular prayer that we are doing two things regarding forgiveness. As the Lord teaches us the model for prayer, we're told we're to do two things regarding forgiveness when we go to him in prayer. Number one, asking for forgiveness in prayer to the Father. We are told to pray like this, forgive us our debts. We're told in prayer that forgiveness and the asking of forgiveness should be part of our prayer. And number two, the forgiving others as we pray to the Father. So asking for forgiveness, but also the forgiving of others as we pray to the Father. Both of those are in the Lord's teaching. The flow of the text is clear in verse 12. And forgive us our debts, and underline that word as, as we also forgive our debtors. They're connected The two acts that Jesus is speaking of are connected. Again, the context is as we go. As you go to the Father in regular prayer, these two things should be a part of your prayer life. The problem is in the attempt to separate them. That's the problem. 
when we try to separate these two as separate issues, which we are indeed inclined to do. Every one of us would love to just separate these and get the forgiveness of the Father without having to think about other people or how serious it is to God that we have this same attitude towards other people that we have come to expect from a loving Father. So practically, I wanted to just share what this might look like. What would this look like if you were to begin to think this way, pray this way, act this way before your Father in heaven? So to keep it in the context of prayer, you might go to the Father today in your sin, even right now. It might be through this message that you find that God is pointing a finger at an area of your life that needs to be confessed to Him. And so as you go to the Father to confess, having sinned, in some way, whether it's against your spouse or your kid or your neighbor or your parent, and you, as his disciple, you go to him because you know through Christ that he is rich with forgiveness. That's the, the, the great, that's a golden, that's just a beauty that we get to go to God our Father who is rich with forgiveness and we know that he will give forgiveness to those who come to him by faith through his son, Jesus Christ. He is rich to forgive and is truly able, as Jesus uses the language of debt, he's able to release you from your debt. Fully released. And we'll talk more about that later, what that means. But with this very thought, will you not in your heart also release your debtors and show them the same grace? That's what it would look like in prayer. The very same debt that you've come to expect and love that God releases us from, the very same, we in prayer say, I release others as well. I am not holding people's debts against them because my heavenly father does not do that with me. Does that make sense, brothers and sisters? I think that's a good clarity to have. We'll go on a little bit and I think this should come a little bit clearer. But I want that first, before we go further into what the doctrine of forgiveness is and some of the other riches of it, to be very clear what that means. And so you can see how they're connected. The as we forgive is so important for us. The Father gives this to us through Jesus. The, the, the teaching of Christ models this for us. Forgiveness is to, be, is to be given by those who are forgiven. Forgiveness is to be given by those who are forgiven. And it's interesting that this is really the only section of the Lord's model for prayer that he comes back to and gives a commentary on. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't come back and talk about what it means to pray for our daily bread. He doesn't come back and talk about what it means to, uh, for his kingdom to come, for his will to be done. He, what he comments on two verses later is that very thing. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And so in verse 14, we see that verse again. And let's just read it again because it's God's word. It is good. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. What was previously stated in the positive sense, forgive as you're forgiven, is now being turned into a warning. He's taking what has been already said in the model for prayer and he's turning it into a warning. What does that warning look like? Forgive as you're forgiven. And if you do not forgive, your father will not forgive you. Comes across loud and clear, so loud and clear that it puts a question mark in a lot of Christians' lives. 
How could this be so? How could it be that if we don't forgive, the Father won't forgive me? If works are not anything to do with my salvation, how is this possible? And it's good if you're a Bible student and you're thinking about the gospel, it's good that you are wondering about this. So this presents a problem in light of the gospel of free, unmerited, unearned salvation. But again, we can ask, what's happening in the context of Christ's teaching? What's happening in the context? He's teaching them a model for prayer, but this is in the midst of the greater context, three examples that he's already given on, on what? What has he already been teaching about with giving and fasting? What has he been already warning the people about? Hypocrisy. This is the greater context. He's already talked about this. The greater context in the three examples he's given was about hypocrisy. So when we look at it like this in the context, we begin to see just how important this prayer life is to Christ. And this subject within prayer of asking forgiveness is so important to Christ. The very claim of Christian faith hinges on this. What is the claim? What's the claim of Christianity? That God sent his son into the world to save the world by forgiving sin and sinners. That's at the very heart of Christianity, that God forgives sinners through his son, Jesus. It's so crucial. Why would this not be the one point that Jesus comes back and focuses on? It's so important to him that he wants all of us, his followers, to really understand this heart of the Father to forgive and how it should be a very center of our heart and our understanding and how we work and deal with other people. And so there's a whole lot that could be said about all of it, but when you boil it all down, here's what it ultimately means. To be forgiven by God, to be forgiven by God is absolutely everything. Wherever you are or whatever situation you're in right now, if you were to just say, I cannot believe I am forgiven by God. Your problems, the stuff that you bicker about and that you argue about in your home, the complaints in your own heart, the sin that you continue to go to as of son or daughter of God becomes putrid in light of worshiping God for his forgiveness. It is everything. And those of us who have experienced forgiveness in this life, we have a small taste of what that's like. Those of us who in life have experienced being forgiven by another, we have a small taste, a small taste of what it's like to be forgiven by the Father. And the greater the offense that you've been forgiven, the closer you come to understanding what it means to be forgiven by God. Now, nothing can truly compare to that forgiveness, but it's good at times to think about examples in this life. If a young child commits sin over and over, Parents will forgive that child. A good parent will forgive that child. Just say that. A good parent will forgive a young child who commits sin over and over again. Those sins can vary. Most of the time, there's not a real sense of guilt in that child who's very young and is sinning and mom and dad are forgiving them. It's just, uh, you know, they're learning what it means to be a rebel in this world. (laughs) 
They're, they're testing the waters, but there's not a whole. You've seen it in your young children. There's not a whole lot of guilt. Rarely, sometimes there is. That's, that's a unique gift. A two or three-year-old that truly senses guilt over their offense against mom and dad. It's rare. It does happen. Maybe that was you as a young child. Maybe you remember feeling guilt, but it's not common. It's patterns of wrong and rebellion that parents are right to have forgiveness in their hearts before they ever re- express repentance. See, the kid's not guilt, feeling guilty, and the kid generally doesn't come to you in repentance, but there's a freeness of forgiveness, forgiveness that's given. But when the offense increases, this is up it from there. Think about the increase of the offense. As people get older, as children get older, as sin becomes more realized, the ramifications of the offense increase. As the circle of damage gets greater, inevitably it becomes harder to forgive because the circle of influence and the damage, all of it grows. And so to just say, I forgive you, becomes harder, doesn't it? It's just, it's so difficult, the greater the damage not necessarily in theory, but in practice. See, Christians can say, no, we're supposed to forgive. That's just who we are, but just try it. Do it. It's harder to do than it is to say. It's good to start there that we believe in the theology of forgiveness that it's built into the heart of Christ and the heart of the Father and it's part of who we are as Christians, but it is harder to practice. So Christians have this basic understanding that we are to be a forgiving type and not to be vengeful and don't hold grudges, etc., but... What does it really mean to forgive? And so when you look at Matthew chapter 6 and the word that is used for forgiveness is a Greek word that has several meanings. I want to give you a few places where the very same Greek word is used and then translated into English, but not into the word forgiveness. This is a little bit of a quiz. See if you can point it out in your mind. Here's three verses where the same word being used for forgiveness in Matthew 6 is being used in these other verses. Matthew 5, 40 says, And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. It's actually in there. The same word for forgiveness is in that verse. I'll read another one. Matthew 4, 20. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. It's actually in there. Mark 1.31, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Pay no attention to my emphasized words. I'm just trying to trick you. (laughs) And then here's a real tricky one in the King James Version. Those of you who have the King James Version open here over and over, you'll feel at home for once. (laughs) Here's the King James Version of 1 Corinthians 7.12. Here's what it says. But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. It's in there. Does anybody have an idea in those first three which word is the same word translated to forgiveness? Just shout it out. Who, who, who's, you said serve? I tricked you. <laughs> I emphasized that word. What'd you say? Let. That's the word. Let. Let and left, and then in the final one, to put her away. The word away, it's the same word. Same word for forgiveness. Why am I saying all that? This is not just a a Bible quiz. It can mean to put away, to leave, to let go of something. It can mean to desert or to give something up. And what we're to do with this is extremely important. In the Lord's model for prayer, we see the word debt. 
what we're being told about the offense is it's being related to this word debt. Forgiveness, letting go, putting away is being connected to the word debt. This is what is owed to someone. Anybody ever experienced debt in this life? <laughs> Liars. <laughs> Everybody should race. We've all experienced it. To owe somebody something, whether it's great or small, whether you, you, you owe something on your mortgage if you don't, good for you. <laughs> good for you. You've done something amazingly right. <laughs> the word debt obviously can be referring to money. That's what we would most naturally be inclined to think about. Or it can also be metaphorical, which is the way it can be used here in Scripture. Metaphorical of what someone owes you because of their offense. Because they have offended you, they now owe you something. There is a debt that, that is over them. They owe you something because they have sinned against you. It's important to understand that we're not talking about just picking out everybody else's offenses. This is specifically about what somebody has done to you or what you have done to them. The sinful world doesn't owe you anything, but somebody specifically who has sinned against you, there is a debt there. Do you see how that works? We don't go around asking everyone who has ever sinned to forgive us, but there are specific offenses that have been done towards us and the other way around. We understand, though, financial debt, which is why Jesus uses that metaphor in also later in Matthew 18, the parable of the unforgiving servant, which is, I think, an expression, a, a, an extension of this teaching. He goes on later to give this great parable, which I felt like, should I, should I expound on that? Well, no, because then when we get to Matthew 18, I'm going to want to skip it if we do it today. So you go read it on your own. Matthew 18, the parable of the unforgiving servant, is an extension of this very teaching, but Jesus uses that, and we'll look at that later when we get to it. But let this inform how you think about forgiveness, thinking about debt. Picture your greatest financial debt with me right now. Maybe you have one now, or maybe you did have one, and now you're free of it. Or just use your imagination. Your greatest financial debt, and suddenly you get a call from your creditor saying, we are forgiving your debts. We're letting it go, all of it, it's gone. You don't have to worry about paying it any longer. It'll be a moment of freedom, excitement, a little bit of confusion probably. You might ask them, why? <laughs> what, what happened? Because I didn't do anything. And they might say, well, we reviewed your request for financial relief and you qualify. Because we've done that before, right? People have done that. You, you have times where in this world and you have to qualify for financial relief of some kind and sometimes a creditor will be easy on you. But they wouldn't say... <laughs> a creditor... No creditor would ever consider giving you relief because you qualify as a human being. Because creditors don't love people. There would not be a motivation within the creditor's heart to just free you of your debt because they love you. And so this analogy really kind of falls apart. We can get a little closer if you make it a friend. Now you have a friend or a family member. And there's a large sum of money that you owe them 
and you cannot pay it. You have no job, and they decided out of love for you to release you of the burden and just let it go. Similar scenario, but the relationship matters a lot more, and that human being does love you. You can get a little bit closer to the idea of what it would mean for a benevolent God to, out of love, forgive debt. You might ask that same question, why? Why are you forgiving me of this debt? And you say this to your family or your friend, well, I'm going to pick a name and throw it in there, but I don't want anybody to feel weird. Well, Sandy, Steve, Isabel, well, (laughs) we considered your application. No, you don't put an application into a family or a friend. You don't, you don't apply for debt relief when, in that situation. You do that with a creditor, but not with a family or friend. It's because we saw your situation and we had compassion on you and decided to show you mercy. See, that friend, the relationship means more. They can actually look at you, have compassion on your situation, and say, we considered you as a human being. We see the plight of your situation. We are sorry for it. We pity you. We have compassion, and we decided to show you mercy. You don't owe us this money anymore. Now, all of you who owe debt like that to somebody, I'm not telling you that that's what this other person should do. And I'm not saying that that's what a creditor should do. We're using this as an analogy. There's often lessons to learn in the debt that we owe other people. But when this happens, you're probably going to be filled with tears of gratitude. But what happens? Here's what inevitably happens, or at least with the majority of people. You still feel guilty. You still feel guilty. They have said you don't have to pay it, but you still feel guilty. Why? You have this sense of guilt because it seems impossible to get past the feeling that you still owe somebody something. And the greater the debt, the harder it is. If somebody forgives you of 10 bucks, you're going to be like, sweet. If somebody forgives you of $100 million or $100,000 or somebody forgives you, it's going to be harder to get your mind to process it's actually gone. And so guilt remains And so this analogy also falls short. What can even compare to the forgiveness that we have through Christ? Ask yourself that. And if you sit here an unforgiven person, you've never experienced the forgiveness of God of releasing you of your sin debt. All these examples that I'm giving you, they don't compare. You might say, well, man, I wish. If I could just be debt-free, I would worship God. If he would get me out of this situation, then I would. No, no, see, it is your sin situation that you need to be out of. It's the sin debt that is far greater than any human financial debt or any burden that you could bear in this life. The burden of a perfect, perfect holy father in righteousness, judging you for your sin, he's right to do that. But to be free of that? There's nothing, nothing that compares. You know, there's no application involved in Christianity. Aren't you glad? Put in your application with the Father, and he'll get back to you soon. And we'll see if you're worthy or qualify of debt consolidation. There's nothing like that. You 
You cannot be found worthy of a debt consolidation program with God in heaven. You cannot be found worthy of it in your own strength. The purer the person or the relationship, the greater the offense of the sin is. The more base the act, the more treacherous the act, the deeper the wedge is driven. We understand that in human terms, don't we? The more important the relationship, the purer the person. We understand in theology that no man is good and all are dead in sin. We understand that. But think in human terms. We are only human. The purer the person, the less they have done, the, clean, the more clean they are. When, so we'll give an analogy for that. Take, consider the comparison of the sin of name-calling between two young friends and those sins are quickly forgiven. Think about that for a minute. Young friends, a couple boys out playing, our boys, our sins. I mean, our boys have done that. You know, younger, they're out and they're calling each other names and they come in and they're best friends again. And you, we, you've seen that. The same young boy, the very same young boy, talks back to his mother and because his mother was given to him by God and the family is a holy institution, the sin is more serious. The same boy who sinned against the young boy calling him names, the sin is still a sin, but the sin is deeper and more offensive because that institution of mom and son is far more serious. The family is a God-given institution, and so it's far more serious. When the boy feels in his heart the weight of that offense against his mother repents with sorrow and the mother forgives him, there is a relief that can't really be explained, explained with words. When there's a, an interaction between you and your family members and there's, there's a real sin issue and a debt that's, that's owed and then there's repentance and then forgiveness, you can't explain what that's like. But that's what should happen and it does happen and it can happen. Expand this sort of thing out to people of greater and greater power and authority. You break a city ordinance, that's a nuisance. You ever done that? Broke a, broke a city ordinance, like parking or whatever? That's just a nuisance. You're not, there's not a whole lot of guilt hanging over your shoulder for a $25 fine. Thank God, because I park for a long time in Bath all the time. <laughs> and they're, they're so gracious. Maybe they'll watch this video and now look for me, but... Uh, Expand this out and you break a state law. It's worse, isn't it? And the fines increase because the authority increases, the power increases. Break a federal law, it's far worse, with greater fines and greater punishment. Break a moral law or a command of God. Now you're not just an offender of men, but a sinner and a transgressor of a holy God whose authority far exceeds any federal, national, world law. Because he's holy, the offense is greater and the wedge is deeper. 
How can it get any worse than that? And it can't. That's the answer. It cannot get worse than that because there's no higher being than God. There is no one of greater authority. There's no one more pure than God. There's no one more holy, more lovely, and more benevolent than him. So when we, right now in our seats, we think about the sins right now that we are holding on to and not asking God for forgiveness, we should be ashamed. There is a level of shame. Why would we not go to him Why would we not, dear brothers and sisters, Christian people, sins that you're committing and holding on to, there's no business holding on to that sin. You're not believing the gospel. Believe the gospel. Go to him for forgiveness. He will forgive you and free you. He will free you of your sin. He will free you of that debt. We have it purchased for us in Jesus Christ. Here's another analogy. It won't offend anybody to fling mud at a pile of manure in the field. You ever see, just try it. Take a pile of mud and throw it at a pile of manure. Nobody's going to have an issue with that. <laughs> if you do, <laughs> there's something wrong or I'm missing something about the purity of a pile of manure. Take that exact same mud, the same pile of mud, and smear it across a bride's pure white wedding dress on her wedding day. And the offense is great. Why? Because that bride and that gown for that day are set apart and holy compared to that field and the dung in that field. The same mud. And the offense is increased. Why? Because of the purity. Because of what it represents. Because of the institution of God. How set apart is God compared to that bride? How holy is he? How perfect is he? How sinless completely. How serious then is the smallest sin in our heart? And we didn't just sin with actions against him, but the very nature of our humanity is born with sin from our parents. How great then is the debt that we owe? It is great. I say all of this with all of these analogies to sort of set this foundation for us to then think further about forgiveness. We've already laid aside and dealt with this reality. We are not forgiving to earn God's forgiveness, but the heart that is forgiven will forgive. I want to make sure that's clear. But I want us to all look at this fresh in our minds today, this idea, this topic, this understanding of forgiveness. Think about it. Go there. Don't look away from it. Let's walk obediently in these two graces, the grace of God's forgiveness for us and the grace of God's forgiveness through us. Those forgiven of the greater offense will forgive what is lesser by comparison. If you are struggling today forgiving a debt that is owed to you, think of the greater offense, the holier object, the holier person that our lives have sinned against. And if through Christ you have been forgiven, there is not a debt anyone could owe you that you should not let go. Doesn't matter who your age or what the sin is. And I mean that with sincerity, not just flippantly. I don't flippantly say it doesn't matter what the sin is because the sin wasn't offensive to you or harmful or very deep indeed. I'm not saying it that way. What I'm saying is in light of the comparison, it doesn't compare You need to look longer there. I mentioned that last week. Look longer there at the gospel and see the offense that you've been forgiven. The smallest sin committed against God is greater in depth of offensiveness, hatred towards God and filth, and is far more unworthy of forgiveness than what any human could ever do to me. 
And so it's only by looking there. So we're going to take some time to try to look there. This is a, a common argument. It gets debated. Okay, here's the question. And I am not trying to cause controversy, but it is a controversial subject. Are you, as a Christian, right here in this room, a sinner? Are you a sinner? Okay, we're not going to just, we're not going to necessarily tackle that, but this is, this comes up. Because I'm asking you guys to look at your sin this morning for just a moment so that we might see something amazingly beautiful and freeing. It's only by looking there and believing the gospel of Christ that we find forgiveness from our sins. Here's a quote from Dane Ortland. It's his book, Gentle and Lowly. We've given it away for free here. Maybe this is a prompt for you to go get it, grab it, read it. You will be blessed. Here's what he says. You will never make yourself feel that you are a sinner because there's a mechanism in you as a result of sin that will always be defending you against every accusation. We are all on very good terms with ourselves and we can always put up a good case for ourselves. If we try to make ourselves feel that we are sinners, we will never do it. There is only one way to know that we are sinners and that is to have some dim, glimmering conception of God. It's only by looking at God that we come to realize who we are. And as much as it pains us to do so, the Lord's model of prayer teaches us about the regular confession of personal and corporate sin. We cannot get away from the reality that in the Christian life, we must confess sin. And if confession of sin is a part of even the model of God's prayer, does that not mean that we will continue to sin and need the knowledge of God's forgiveness on a daily basis? We do. To confess those sins, personal and corporate sins, that would lead us to full pardon, so freeing that we now forgive the sins of others too. But we also understand that genuine confession and true forgiveness go hand in hand. So the topic of forgiveness can't go without confession and a humility of your heart, a humbleness of our hearts today. And this is true both with God and with other people. So genuine confession frees up the guilty conscience. So before we're asking for forgiveness, there is confession because that is what loosens the dirt, so to speak, that will at once get washed away when you're forgiven by God. Confession loosens the dirt up. You're like, here it is. This is it. And then forgiveness comes in and washes it all away. Look at Psalm 32. Let's turn over there. Take a moment just looking at this text. There are so many places to go in the Psalms to look head on with forgiveness and how David or one of the psalm writers dealt with forgiveness and dealt with his own sin. Let's read the psalm again. Psalm 32, one through five says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. I want to just bring to the surface 
really five things. And then we're going to move on with our service and rejoice in the forgiveness of God over two individuals that are going to profess their faith in Christ publicly before you and be baptized and we will rejoice. What a picture of forgiveness. Let me bring out five things from this psalm and you can just sort of track along through. As I mentioned these, look at the psalm. Take these things to heart. Whether one or many, sin can be forgiven and covered. Please hold on to that. Whether it's one sin or many sins, whether it's a few sins or dozens, whether it's a lifetime of it or you sinned for the first time ever this week. Not possible. Know this. According to the authority of God's word, sin can be forgiven and covered. Your sins. Number two, there is a reality in which a person can live with a free conscience and without guilt. There is a reality based on the authority of God and his word that you and I can live free of any guilt and with a clean conscience. Don't you want that? Many of you here have been freed of that. You walk with a clean conscience before God because you are covered in the blood of Christ, by the blood, the sacrifice of Jesus. But some of you here this morning have a guilt in your conscience that you cannot get rid of. And if you don't have the guilt, then, then what you need to do is look at God and stop looking at yourself because you're making excuses. You're saying you're better than you are. But look at God and you'll see that you're actually not better than you are and you need his forgiveness. You need his forgiveness. But there is a reality in which you can have free conscience and be without guilt. Number three, hiding our sin from God is futile. To hide your sin from God and say, I have not sinned, I'm not a sinner, it's futile. It only adds to the burden that we bear. Did you notice that in the psalm? When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. This is David's admission that while he concealed his sin from God, he was not better for it. In fact, the pressure was even greater. So number four, don't ignore the hand of the Lord that presses upon you. Even right now, the hand of God that's pressing and saying, you are a sinner and you need my grace. You're hiding your sin from me. It is not possible. It's futile. And you are going deeper and deeper into your sin. In fact, don't ignore the Lord who's pressing upon you, even afflicting you in your sin right now. Afflicting you. He's calling you to repentance. That hand that's heavy upon you is a call to repentance. Repent and turn from your sin. Number five, the first step towards forgiveness is acknowledging the the sin that separates us from God. This is for the believer or the one who is yet to be in Christ. That is the step. The one who is heavy under a load of sin, you've committed sin, you're under the hand of God, the pressure is there, acknowledge your sin. That's what David did. Do you see that? Verse five, I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Acknowledge your sin. It's the first step towards that forgiveness that separates us from God. And once we do this, and we do so with faith in Jesus Christ, 
who alone has the power to forgive sin, we will soon find the guilt of sin removed from our hearts and replaced with the peace of God. No longer guilt, but true peace. Peace that you're right with God. Peace that he does not hate you as an enemy, but loves you as a son or daughter and is welcoming you into his family. Or reminding you today, you are a part of my family. I purchased you with my blood. So, brothers and sisters, in Jesus there is covering. In Jesus there is forgiveness, and in Jesus alone there will be no sin counted against us. That psalm mentions those three things. There is covering, there is forgiveness, and there is no longer judgment imputed to you. But we know through the gospel that it's righteousness that's imputed to us through Christ. Instead, it's the righteousness that he imputes to those who put their faith in his finished work on the cross. That is the crucial part of this sermon. It has to be seen through Jesus Christ. None of this makes sense out of, outside of Christ because it's the finished work of the cross where we see the judgment of God meet the mercy of God. To believe in the cross and the judgment that was received upon Christ, you see the perfect judgment of God against sinners, but then you see the perfect mercy and love of God. That he forgives those who look to Christ, who received on our behalf the punishment for our sins. So we see great mercy and we see judgment there. We see grace. We see so much grace and that's what we need. Some of you here this morning need to hear this particular message in a special way that's different from the rest of us. So I want to single you out just for a second. Some of you here need to hear this in a way that's different from the rest of us. And I'm not saying you're worse than anybody. What I'm saying is the way this is going to apply to you is different than the believer who's going to him for the hundredth time and knows the gospel and has been freed and forgiven of their sin. But there are some perhaps in this room or maybe in this room that you are hearing this and you need to know that the Father sent his son for you. There, most of us know that, but many of us don't. And our mission in this world is to tell the world about the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Son of God who came to this world to rescue sinners like us. So why are you here? Why did somebody bring you and why are you sitting in this room? Why are you here right now? Because the sovereign God of heaven sent his Son for you. He died for sinners just like you. All of the guilt that you feel and that you know is justly against you, you are guilty, all of that can be taken care of. He conquered it by his death and resurrection. Christ is risen from the grave. Have you ever asked yourself that question? Why Jesus? Why his death? Why this man who is risen? Because he is accomplishing something for you and for me. Freedom from sin, conquering completely of death and eternal life with God the Father through the forgiveness of sins. You can have this. You don't have to hide. And I would just say, no more hiding. Stop running. No more willful sin turning to sin and going to that putrid mess over and over again that's killing you, go to Christ, the Savior. He will heal you. Come to him with your burden. Scripture says this, if you confess 
with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. You know that's what we've been talking about this whole time? To be forgiven is to be saved. To be saved is to be forgiven. It's to be justified. It's to be made right. It's to be given the righteousness of Christ through faith in him. To believe in the finished work. And completely forgiven. Brought into a body, into a fold of God's family with so much grace and love. Not perfection. Grace and love. And continually calling us away from the sin that would destroy us. If I'm talking to you and you're here this morning, then that is my prayer for you. I do believe we all needed to hear this message today. All of us, every one of us, believer, non-believer, visitor, long-standing member, all of us, don't we need the forgiveness of God? Is there not a freshness of just saying, thank you, God? How could we not worship him? He deserves it. He's so good. He's so, so perfect and so holy. So it's time to confess, all of us. It's a moment that we get to confess our sin before the Lord. You don't need another person. You don't need a priest. You don't need anybody to stand in the way. There's nobody else that has the power to forgive sin. Why? Because everybody else does it on a whim with no power to back it up. You want to know who forgives our sins? The one who died and rose from the grave and is alive interceding for you right now, praying for you. So that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna pray. We're gonna pray, and as we go to the Lord in prayer, let's pray. God, change our hearts. I confess my sin to you. If you need to confess your sin for the very first time, you don't even know what to do. You just know, I know that the scriptures that have just been preached are calling me a sinner to confess my sin and believe in the Son of God for salvation. You need to be saved? Trust in Christ. You need to be forgiven? Go to Christ and he will do it. Go to him as a child with the weakest faith that you can possibly, if it's faith in Christ, that's what matters. Let's pray, and then we will celebrate communion together and remember his sacrifice. Father, we are so aware this morning of our sin, and Holy Spirit, I pray that you would impress upon every heart in this room, myself included, everybody, every age, every walk of life, every problem, every issue, the person who is here with a great sin debt, the one who is here in deep, deep struggle and turmoil because of sin and what they owe to other people. There are things that we have done to other people that make the the weight and the guilt of sin so hard to bear. But how much more so the weight of our sin against you and by coming to you now, genuinely confessing our sin before you, we realize that we can be free. Would you please, by your grace, free people today from sin and the debt. New life, Lord, may new life, an awareness of what it is to follow God, to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, to receive the forgiveness of sins and to become a disciple, a lifelong follower of the Son of God who came into this world to forgive sinners. And to cast our sin as far as the east is from the west. We believe and we agree with John. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Thank you, God, for lifting that sin debt from so many of us. I pray that we would see more and more 
of that very same freedom come today and the days after this, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. So we just, we say we trust you, Lord. We believe. We repent of our sins. And we turn to you. And we believe the gospel that it's not by our works, but only by the grace of God. We love you, Lord. Be glorified in this time as we remember what you've done for us. We thank you for your word, Lord. Hide it in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the New City Church Podcast. For more content from New City Church, check us out on any of the major podcasting platforms. Or if you want to find our gathering times, location, or any other information about New City, check out our website at www.bathnewcity.church. We hope to have you join us next episode.